This will be the passage we deal with today, but before we do that, I want to continue the theme that we started with the discussion and the response of reading on love and the relationship with each other and how the church is a manifestation of Jesus in the world. On the back side of your notes in the insert is an article called Understanding Church. Now you've seen this or versions of it before because um, I've used this. I put some thoughts down in case you're not real familiar. Some of you, this will be old news information, but for some of you, this might be important for understanding. But it's important for all of us to understand the nature of the church, uh, what it means. We use the term a lot. It's used a lot in our culture, our society. Uh, separation of church and state being probably the most famous expression or use of the word as uh, one of the terms in that sentence. So I would like, if we have a common understanding of what church means, there's many things about the subject of church that are both in the Bible and in history, Christian history, that we won't talk about here. Uh, but on the subject of the spiritual gifts, we need an understanding of what the church is before we can talk about that. Understanding church. The term church translates the Greek word ecclesia, or ecclesia, if you wish, an assembly of people called together out of the larger community. I might just make this point because I think it's a worthwhile illustration, but the Greek word ecclesia, um, or ecclesia, uh, is actually taken from the common Greek language referring to the Senate. Now, we really don't think of the Senate as church these days, uh, but that's what the term meant. It meant representatives uh, taken from society and brought together into a common place to have a relationship with each other for a specific purpose. And that's why the name, the term, ecclesia, uh, has the significance it does. It's most general term, and it's because its background simply means some people who are brought together from, uh, from disparate uh, locations and places and backgrounds into a single place for the purpose of working together and being a single body, at least for the time that they are together. So the term church translates the Greek word ekklesia, and other terms used in the Bible for the church are body of Christ, disciples, family of God, congregation, flock, spiritual building, temple of the Holy Spirit, and bride of Christ. All of the uses are about the people, not the buildings. Universal church is used to describe the great invisible assembly on the spiritual plane. This is made up of all genuine believers, regardless of place, nationality, age, gender, denomination, etc. This is the meaning of Catholic in old confessions of faith. Whoever is in Christ via the Holy Spirit's indwelling is part of this universal or Catholic church. The local church is made up of those living in a certain place and time who have come together in mutual commitment to visibly and physically manifest the spiritual realities of that universal church. The local church is the universal church in microcosm. These are voluntary communities of Christians from all age groups, gifts, backgrounds, whose only unifying feature is their declared faith in Jesus and being neighbors. The local church is the nuclear family of the church world. 
The purpose of any local church is to help each other to know Christ and to make him known. The same purpose as the universal church. Denominations such as Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, Foursquare, Calvary Chapels, Nazarene, Mennonite Brethren, and you might say, etc., or ad nauseum, because there are a lot of different denominations in the world, and certainly in history. They are voluntary associations of local churches banded together on a national or worldwide level for strength and mission. They are often built around certain issues, beliefs, or church practices. Sometimes the denomination was a result of a conflict or split in the past, but sometimes it's a result of new churches in new parts of the world. Parachurch organizations, word literally means alongside the church, are organizations made up of individual Christians with a certain task or type of ministry in mind. Mission agencies, Christian colleges, seminaries, youth organizations, Christian publishers, media ministries are all examples of parachurch organizations. In these, the program or the task is primary and the individuals fit in if they're right for it. But in the local church, the people are permanent and primary, but the programming and the methods are meant to be secondary and flexible. Now that last line I want to emphasize because as we talk about gifts of the Spirit, we will be emphasizing this very thing. Parachurch organizations, which um, I have been a part of in the past, uh, tend to be self-selecting based on the person's interest. And sometimes they think the local church is kind of messy. Uh, it is. Because it's like family is messy. If you try to run a family like a business, you won't have very many friends left in your family especially. Or like a military unit. A family and a military unit are quite different. Uh, in other words, they serve different purposes. The church is like the local family. The family, the microcosm of the human race is the nuclear family. And it's made up of people of all different backgrounds, gifts. And I would also add maturity status and uh, all kind of different things. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, you'll find that in your New Testament, and the page number is there. We're going to talk a little bit about gifts of the Spirit and how the body, use picking up on the body of Christ reference, particularly here today, page 813 in your pew Bible. It's one of the more famous chapters in the Bible. The 13th is probably the most famous, the love chapter, but the Spiritual gifts chapter is also a pretty well-known one, especially for people of certain types of backgrounds are very familiar with the whole notion of spiritual gifts. The Apostle Paul is writing to uh, the church at Corinth. Corinth was a pagan city. Uh, that's an outdated, uh, yeah, okay, don't do that. Use the one in here. That's the only time you will have a mistake up there because the, the notes are going to be the same. I changed the reference, uh, the passage that I want to deal with. The Ephesians 4 passage deals with that also, and, uh, but in a different way. And I changed the reference after this was put up there. So uh, let's read uh, 1 Corinthians 12 about the spiritual gifts. And just a couple of sentences about background. Paul is writing to Christians in Corinth, a pagan city. There were a few Jews... Uh, similar to Paul's background, who helped start the church. 
but by and large they were made up of pagans not so the problem that they often dealt with and I think we often deal with in our society especially in a post-christian culture uh, we deal with the fact that people don't have a common background and how do you make that work how do you make that mesh together if people are all the same kind of background uh, you have certain advantages uh, you have uh, ethnic identities you have people that somewhat look alike and uh, you have people that act alike and have a cultural impact uh, uh, to help enforce whatever the church is standing for because it's part of the culture and that's an easy way to do things but if we really reach out into the world we discover that we find people of all different backgrounds and this is exactly why the subject of unity and diversity had to come up in Paul's writings to the Corinthians now he says this in chapter 12 verse 1 now about the spiritual gift brothers I do not want you to be ignorant you know that when you were pagans somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit now you remember that the formula for baptism that we use is I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's because that's what Jesus said to do in Matthew chapter 28. There are different forms, different methods of baptism. But these things are said intentionally because Jesus said to say this. We are relating to the Father because of what he did through Jesus by means of the Holy Spirit who is in us drawing us to him and so here Jesus uh, Paul is simply emphasizing in a different way especially if you think about the pagan backgrounds that it is the work of the Holy Spirit that draws people to Christ changes their minds gives them insight into Jesus and this is what we have in common then is not just Jesus whom we celebrated here with the Lord's Supper but the Holy Spirit who makes it work on the invisible plane in our hearts and our minds and makes the unity possible in verse 4 he says there are different kinds of gifts but the same spirit there are different kinds of service but the same Lord there are different kinds of working but the same God works all of them in all men and verse 7 now to each one the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good to one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To, uh, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between Spirits. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. Now I want to emphasize that last part of verse 11, just as he determines, uh, because that is an important feature of how we find what God has for us as individuals. God will give you not just the gift to accomplish ministry, but the passion for it, the love for it and the spiritual power and direction in doing it that's a key principle it's his choice other people can't choose for you 
what you're supposed to be doing in the church or in ministry or anything else. Now, there are some things that are necessary for life and community. Uh, you could, for example, say that you believe that the church ought to meet at 6.30 on Saturday night. And I know people who believe that. They actually believe that it should be Friday night. And uh, go for it. Nobody else will be here, but go for it. So there are some things like time, organizational structure, legal status, and things that we do together that really aren't related to spiritual gifts, but are simply mechanical in nature. We have church membership, not demanded in the Bible, but it's a way of organizing ourselves. It's not a spiritual gift or required. You're not going to lose any salvation or anything over things like that. Uh, and if you prefer to worship at a different time of day, that's just fine. But we're going to worship at 9.30. And that's a mechanical process. That's just organizing the house, you might say. That is not what we're talking about when we talk about spiritual gifts. You have to, uh, we have to function as a body. So there are decisions we make collectively, but there are spiritual gifts that enable the individual to find their place and their usefulness in the family of God. And verse 12, he says, The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form the body, one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. We were all given the one spirit to drink. Here he's uh, not, I don't think he's attempting to solve the problem of uh, how the Holy Spirit manifests himself. I think many people have benefited from having a spiritual conversion experience followed by, sometime later on, the receipt of a certain gift or some sort of spiritual experience later on that was a confirmation experience. Now, sometimes this is labeled baptism of the Holy Spirit, Different denominations in history have given that name to different things. In certain denominations, for example, the holiness experience is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's just one other one. Pentecostal, it tends to be a spiritual uh, manifestation of a certain gift, speaking in tongues. That's the tradition there. But the point he's making here is that if we are in Christ, you can't be in Christ without having the Holy Spirit. Now, you can have other experiences with the Holy Spirit, and you should have. I hope you have. If the only thing that you can say about the Holy Spirit or about your relationship with God is that, uh, yes, I signed a form one day, or yes, I got baptized one day, then that's too bad. Because you really should have a sense of God's presence in your life. And that may take any of many forms. And this is what he's talking about. Why he says what he says about the body. A variety of forms, a variety of manifestations makes a healthy body. And so verse 14 he says, Now the body is not made up of one part but of many. 
if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And I think it's necessary with this illustration to talk about the problem of ego. Many, many Christians who come from a non-Christian background are disillusioned by what they see sometimes as competition for righteousness and who's better, good, better, best, and uh, conflict within the church. Well, you know, that's a problem of human beings. That's not a problem of Christians, just Christians. It's a problem of human beings. Human beings carry with them competitive spirits, comparing each other one with the other, comparing themselves, I mean, with other people. And this is a problem in all of life. And you could take this principle anywhere else in life. This is what we tell young people in school and the whole peer pressure problem and the social stratification problems that exist in school and everywhere in life, really. It's on the job. It's everywhere else, too. But the social stratification problems can be resolved by the same way by asking the question, how has God made me? And am I fulfilling what God has intended for me? Not for those people, and not for somebody who has social standing that appears to be higher than mine, but what about me? What has God given me for gifts, and am I using them? That's a way of talking about natural gifts and social life in general. But here he's talking about the spiritual issues and the problems that exist in churches whole denominations have been formed over this problem that they want to emphasize this now in reality that's a parachurch organization then you move out of being a real church into a parachurch organization another church says no I don't like that so we're going to emphasize this and we're going to be against that in fact because we're the ones that are righteous and have the Holy Spirit and we get to be president of the Pharisee club, I guess, because that's what it means to see yourself in comparison. No, you're not an I, and I'm an I, therefore you have no value and I don't need you. That's exactly what he's talking about. That's what is called carnality or fleshly spirit. That's not even the Holy Spirit talking or motivating that sort of comparison. Uh, once we understand that the Holy Spirit gives to each one as he determines back in verse 11, then we can settle this issue. Say, well, this is what God has gifted me to do, and if he has gifted you to do that, then you do that, and I will do this. And the Holy Spirit can make it work together. He is the vicar of Christ. I don't know if you're familiar with that term, but uh, when they... Pope was here uh, a week or two ago, two weeks ago, or two or three already. Um, this term came up. I'm sure it's a term that many people have never heard before because the official title of the Pope is the Vicar of Christ. That's a Latin 
term meaning, a stand-in. The Pope stands in for Jesus. Now, we don't agree with that. This church, no Protestants do. Uh, that what the Protestant Reformation was about, largely. We believe the Holy Spirit is the vicar of Christ. When Jesus said, I will send my spirit, the Holy Spirit, to do all the things that I've been doing with you, and on the invisible plane, he will perform this function, then that's the vicar of Christ. That's the meaning of the term. Now, the Catholics have a different history and a different understanding of the term, and I don't think it's a very useful term, actually, in this day and age, especially. Uh, so it can be laid aside, but that's what he's talking about. The Holy Spirit will bring the organization and will give everybody what they need to do. If everybody will tune in, then it will function even without a visible organization enforceable by organizational powers. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and a head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our present... Obviously, Paul wasn't familiar with 21st century American television. The, uh, the less certain parts of the body not being treated with much modesty uh, anymore. That maybe is a culturally passing thing based on the moral and spiritual fiber of the society. Uh, this is actually a pretty important point that he's making here. Uh, in verse 24, while our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. I just want to add a point to that, the presentable parts. Have you ever seen a pancreas? Hmm? No, me either. I've seen pictures of one in a book, Medical Encyclopedia, and you can look it up online and see a picture of somebody's pancreas who obviously is no longer with us because a pancreas is very necessary. If you get pan cancer of the pancreas, that's you got anywhere from 12 to 24 weeks to live, period. That is a very vital organ to the body. But you can cut off a finger, an arm. I know people without hands, arms, legs, ear, you could, eyes. I know people missing all of these visible parts who are still functioning in some cases way better than average. But there are many parts of your body, and I'll just say pancreas because you can think of a whole bunch of them that your body really cannot function without. And that's the point that he's making. If we use human values, we would value how good you look. And yet, the kind of parts that you don't really want to be looking at are the ones that are the most important sometimes. And this is one of the problems with a church that has gone, the biblical word is Ichabod, the Holy Spirit has left it. Everybody's comparing the visible stuff but the invisible stuff may be way more important to the health of the body. Glory, glory, who gets the glory? Honor, honor, who gets the honor? 
mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the most righteous one of all? Missing the point entirely that the ones that don't look righteous, whose ministries may be quiet and invisible, might actually be the ones that he's saying are more important. I can think of many body parts that you can live without, but I can think of many body parts that you cannot, and that's the analogy. Verse 27, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, those speaking in different kinds of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. Now, we could go on into chapter 13, in which he discusses the very important principle that, really, I guess a, another a way of saying that would be that the, the um, fruit of the Spirit is more important than the gifts of the Spirit. I know many people who are very useful in the family of God who couldn't put a label on what they contribute. But I, if you ask other people, they would say, ah, you mean the one with so much love or the one with so much caring, the one with so much helpfulness. Maybe these are mentioned as gifts, maybe they aren't. The really important thing is not to be able to put a handle on your gifts. There's about 19 different ones if you put them all together when they're discussed in the New Testament. I personally think that that's meant to be illustrative, not exhaustive. I think the point of mentioning the gifts the way he does, as you notice, that even he, Paul, in the same chapter, uses a different arrangement of the list or even different lists, things he didn't say. First time. The point being, whatever your contribution is, do that for the Lord and do that consistently and helpfully in the value system that all goes back to what we did with the Lord's Supper. Now, number one, takeaways for life. Number one, see all your life as service to God. Church ministries are one avenue out of many. I think it's important to say this because... Uh, Sometimes we get a lot of uh, pressure to sign up to do this, sign up to do that. Get busy, 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 busy. With what is an important question. Church ministries are very important. But the fact is, most of your life isn't lived here. Not supposed to be. What are you doing the rest of the time? It's like when we talked about finances. You don't do your tithes. So that all the rest of the money is yours. You do the tithe as a statement to God that all the rest of it is his. Think of spiritual gifts as how you function in the church and the family of God. But think of spiritual gifts as also how you're useful out in the world for God. Number two, bloom where you're planted. Most ministry and use of spiritual gifts takes place on the individual level. You take... Uh, Something like gift of teaching, one of the things mentioned here. The calling or the calling of pastor, which isn't mentioned in this, but the Ephesians passage. 
If you aren't pastoral on a personal level, on a private level, please stay out of the pulpit. I, don't, no, I know I'm not talking to too many people here with that, but I'm talking about every topic. We had a woman in our church one time who was very loud and vocal about the fact that she had the gift of healing. This was years ago in a different church. She had the gift of healing. She could touch people and they would be healed. And she asked me if she could put on a healing crusade in our church. I said, well, I don't really know if you have the gift of healing, but I'd sure like to find out, so would you mind visiting the hospital and the nursing home with me so I can see it in action? Oh, no. I need a stage, music, and an atmosphere to exercise the spiritual gift of healing. I said, you don't have the spiritual gift of healing. You have the gift of circus performer. That's not the same thing. If you can't do it one-on-one, -on -one, it's not a spiritual gift. If you can't teach somebody what we call individual discipling, one-on-one, -on -one, you do not have the gift of teaching. If it depends on the stage or the place, that's not a spiritual gift. That's just an environment. and may have something to do with performing desires. Number three, the extreme of busyness on one hand and consumerism on the other is unhealthy for individuals and churches alike. You know, it's really harmful for a church to have people in it who just consume. They don't do anything. Uh, I don't think it's very prevalent here, to tell you the truth, that there's an expression sometimes that people use it. Uh, twenty percent of the people do eighty percent of the work. Maybe some places. I don't see it, but as a pastor, a lot of times I see what people do that isn't drawing a lot of glory and recognition. So it's really hard for me to say that. I don't think that's really true in most churches. Certainly not true in this church. But nevertheless, it can be a problem that some people are just here to take, entertain me. Do something for me. Be my friend. I'm not going to be your friend, but you be my friend. That's consumerism. There are people like that. But the flip side is people who do too much. It's like they grab for everything. It's called greed. Grab for everything. Mine, mine, mine. You go away. You get out of here. Go to a different church if you want to do something. This is mine. I own it. I control it. Both are a self-serving spiritual corruption. Being a consumer or being greedy and on a power trip and a glory trip, that's what the Holy Spirit is trying to teach us through Paul. Find what yours is and do it. And that's verse 4. Like all decisions, in, in a, or point 4 rather, like all decisions in life, finding your gift and place is not an exact science. Seek God and advice to find your place. It is an important question. There are many things that need to be done. Just like around a house, they just need to be done. Somebody's got to put the wood in a stove. Well, okay, so you don't have a wood stove. Somebody's got to, do, somebody's got to sweep the floor. These are not spiritual gifts. Somebody's got to do practical things around the church. Okay, that's for everybody. 
But then what are you doing that really is representing the gift and the fulfillment of what, how God has made you? And so that's how we should ask questions about our careers and our life choices, about people and everything. What's God got for me? But still, a lot of life is just everybody pitches in. That's okay. But there are certain things that people are better at than others are. And sometimes that does represent a spiritual gift. Ask the Lord to give you direction in that. And seek advice as well. Ask other people, what, is, what do they think is your spiritual gift or a good niche or niche in the church? Niche if you're French. Niche if you're not. Point five. Find one or two things at church that you can care about and do them well. God will take care of the rest or we don't really need it. Now, I'm sure you've heard this in other places, but I want to repeat it here. I think we should have a moratorium in government in our country that every time a new law is passed, an old one is canceled, erased. Don't you think? Because it's just growing and growing. The, the IRS code alone is bigger than the entire Vatican library of books. It just grows. It just grows. And it happens in churches too. Ooh, here's a good idea for a new ministry. Let's add this. Okay, which one are we going to cancel so we don't just get 150 ministries that nobody's doing, or if they are doing it, they're all upset and angry because they're doing too much? Find one or two things at church that you care about and do them well. God will take care of the rest. Or we don't really need it. Find one or two things and do them well. Don't worry about trying to pitch in and do everything.